I will be the first person to tell you a version of this story. I'm sure you've heard one like it. If you haven't, please sit back for a moment and try to give me the benefit of the doubt. Point Pleasant comes up in these stories often, doesn't it? I know it does, because I've done the research. If my account wasn't backed up by others, I wouldn't be sharing it now. Anyway, you guessed it. Point Pleasant is where my story takes place. Just north of there is a forest reservation for fish and game. That land has to be managed by somebody. And for a few years, I was the lucky park service member with their boots stuck in Point Pleasant's mud. You see, the forest there isn't exactly worth the hike. During World War II, those 8,000 acres were the base of an ammunition manufacturing facility. The explosives developed there were kept in above-ground bunkers hidden under a layer of dirt and grass. Those bunkers covertly populate the landscape, like houses in the Shire. When the land was abandoned after the war, the explosives left behind in those bunkers began to contaminate the surrounding area. Some of the structures have been known to explode without warning, even though the land is hospitable enough to cater to the occasional hunter or fisherman much of it is still considered a national priority for hazardous waste. It was my job to walk the area, check for signs of trespassing, and to navigate any reports of activity around the bunkers. It sounds a bit ridiculous, I know. Who would go wandering around these little igloos of toxicity? You'd be surprised. I chased my fair share of photographers, social media wannabes, and conspiracy theorists. If I regret giving any of them a hard time, it's that last group. There is something going on in Point Pleasant, after all. I saw it. A photographer, who actually got the clearance from the proper authorities, came to me one morning with an image that he demanded I see. He had set up some unwieldy remote cameras around a few of the bunkers. His goal, as far as I understood it, was to take several pictures throughout the course of the day from the comfort of his van and laptop. He was creating a time-lapse or some other artistic concept that I honestly couldn't be bothered with. He was obeying my safety instructions, and that was all I could really ask for. The picture he showed me, however, was very bothersome. It was the still image of a pale, naked man running behind one of the bunkers. He was only visible from the elbows down, since his head and shoulders were already behind the structure. The rest of his physique was too blurry to make out. He must have been sprinting across the frame when the photographer snapped the picture. Most concerning was the large black bag slung across his back. My heart started racing the moment I saw it. If there was anything remotely explosive in that bag, the stranger could start a chain reaction that would destroy 8,000 acres of land. I called for backup first. A naked man with a black bag didn't exactly inspire urgency in the rest of the park service. They were on the way, but I needed to take point. Luckily, I knew exactly where that bunker was. I left the photographer behind and hurried to hopefully defuse the situation before it got out of hand. When I arrived there, however, it wasn't a man waiting for me. It was something else. The muscular, pale, humanoid body was squatting atop the bunker. He had climbed up it for some reason. The body cut off at its head, its shoulders smoothed out where a neck should have been. I can clearly see two red eyes 
I couldn't comprehend what I was seeing. I still don't understand it. Not fully. All I know is that I did see it. I wasn't hallucinating. I wasn't dreaming. I know that because it was the photograph that lured me out first. I guess my mind didn't have a reference point to compare the creature to anything remotely normal. How could it live without a head? Could it even see with its eyes so low on its body? Then the black shape on its back, which I had mistakenly identified as a bag, started to unfurl. Large, black, feathered wings. They must have sprouted almost 20 feet from tip to tip. I don't know how to explain it, but I felt like I was looking at something divine. I'd never seen a creature that big before. I'd never felt so small in the face of something that I couldn't comprehend. I'm sure that I was shaking, but I don't remember much of how my body reacted. I don't know if I yelled or whimpered, or if a cold sweat broke out on my back. I only remember being frozen by the awesome dread. Then it leaped straight up. It flew into the air at some incredible speed. I only heard its wings beat once. Then it was gone. My backup eventually arrived and found me still standing there, still staring. I tried to explain, but quickly shut up when they started to check me for signs of injury. The footprints were atop the bunker. I thought that should have been enough proof. Clawed feet or talons, something big. The prints were brushed aside. I was hopeful still that the photographer's picture would lend some credibility to my case. Not so. The picture only looked like a man. It didn't convince a single person that I had seen some monster out in the woods. Not even the photographer himself believed me. He wouldn't give me a copy of the photograph. He didn't want to enable my delusions, I guess. I don't know that I blame him. I was let go not long after that. Now, I guess it's my duty to tell this story. Please, if you know what's good for you, don't go wandering around Point Pleasant. I take an annual trip up north to Algonquin Provincial Park in southeastern Ontario, Canada. It's beautiful up there and still pretty wild and rugged. It's something like over 2,900 square miles with lakes and rivers. It's truly fantastic. Great place to get away from the city. The sky at night is just nothing but stars. The air is fresh and clean, and you can see all sorts of wildlife to boot. I have pictures of moose and deer. There's a few with bear and some fox, many with birds. Now, there is wolves up there, but I've never seen them, only heard them at night. If you set out of your campsite and hear them, you can howl back at them and they will answer. It's a great experience. Some people think it's a little eerie or creepy, but I think it's one of those life-changing experiences. Now, I was supposed to go up there with my son-in-law last year, but he had to cancel at the last minute. Something about work, a project or something got changed. I'm not really sure. He works at some ad agency. I don't really know what he does. Anyway, he was supposed to go up and stay the week with me. But since he canceled, I decided I was going to go and stay a little longer, about two weeks. It's an eight plus hour drive to get up there. People think I'm crazy just for the drive up. I tell them it's absolutely worth it. 
I'll even bust out my pictures, trying to convince them. I don't really want to say where I live, so I'll just say I live in a state that borders Canada. Is that odd? I don't think it's odd. Anyway, I left my house at 2am, absolutely no traffic on the highway or in the city at that time, makes traveling much easier. The drive is not bad, just a lot of open highway, farmland, cities and towns here and there. You go through Windsor and London, and then finally, about 4 or 5 hours in, you hit Toronto. That's when the traffic picks up, and you get stuck in the congestion of the freeway. I usually stop for food in Toronto, something fast, then I continue on. Past Toronto, it's rest stops in small towns until you get to the park. There's a store right outside the campgrounds that I usually stay, so I'll stop there for supplies that I've either forgotten or just didn't buy before the trip. It's a nice small place, friendly people, and stocked with foods and camping gear. It's about 15 or 20 minutes to the campgrounds. I set up my site. I'm a tent camper myself. I like the old traditions, you know? One large tent for sleeping, one smaller one for provisions, and my bike, and canoe equipment, and portable fridge. The site has access to electricity, though not all of them do. Some have no access to electricity or even bathrooms. You can go completely rugged if you want there, though I never have. I have even stayed there at one of the lodges near the park when it was fall. One of the first things I like to do is hike up my favorite trail that leads to a series of bluffs. There's something like 2,000 feet above sea level. They're well wooded, and most of the trails are pretty long. You can get lost for hours on them. It's really fantastic. The sun was low in the sky, but it was a bright, clear day. I saw some deer on the way up, which is not an uncommon sight for the park. I got to the top of the highest point of the bluff, and it looks out over miles of forest and river. It's truly breathtaking, you know, like something out of a movie. So I began to take pictures. I do every time I go up. There's always something new. I'm taking pictures of the forest below when I hear someone call out. I see a couple about 10 feet from me and they're pointing out. I look up and there's this shining ball in the sky. It's a yellowish orange in color and it's just hanging there. I go to shoot it with my camera and two more appear right below it, kind of making a triangle shape. They're just hovering there. I start taking pictures and the balls begin to move slowly and get bigger, like maybe they're moving closer to us. I'm not really sure though. It's hard to tell with things moving in the sky like that. I've seen birds I thought were much bigger than they actually are. I take a few shots and then all of a sudden the damn things fly off in a blank. I mean these things were really moving. I look at the couple and they look at me and we just kind of look around in disbelief, you know? My camera died right after that too, maybe a minute after the lights took off. I have some pictures, but some are blurry. I must not have been too steady when I was trying to take them. I don't know what I saw. I tried talking to the park rangers, and I talked with a couple that was out there with me. They tried to get some pictures on their phones, but they were much too blurry. My son says it was probably a plane, or a few planes, maybe military jets. The ranger said the park isn't on a flight path. I don't know. I don't want to believe the crazy theories or anything, but I also can't explain what I saw. 
It's the damnedest thing. I've returned to the park since. I always will. But I've never seen anything like that again. I've asked people what they've seen in the park, but it's mostly wildlife stories. Nothing like what I got pictures of. I don't know what to think, really. I encountered a cold-blooded creature and survived to tell the tale. I was 20 years old and bored out of my mind in my hometown, so I decided to move to Colorado. It was my first time ever living alone, and although I was excited about my newfound freedom, I was a bit scared. I had only been living in my new apartment for a week and realized I needed to unpack a few more things from a box I left in storage in the basement. I dreaded going down there. It was dingy and dark and looked like a room out of a horror movie. I made my way down and shifted through a few boxes. There was another person who entered the basement and I glanced up only for a moment and noticed it was a girl around my age. I was new to the area and eager to make new friends, so I struck up a conversation with her. She was super friendly and had beautiful, glossed over eyes and pale skin. We got to talking and I ended up inviting her over for dinner later that evening. After she got what she needed from down there, she waved by and ascended up the stairs. I was excited about a potential new friend. Only thing was, I didn't have much groceries. The way back up to my room, I kept contemplating what dish to cook up for us. After I examined my pantry, I found some pasta sauce, noodles, and some frozen garlic bread in my freezer. It wasn't anything glamorous, but I was sure I could spruce it up enough. The day dragged on and finally I started prepping dinner. I just popped the bread in the oven and heard a knock on the door. I quickly went over to answer it and greeted her. She looked around past me and glanced at her feet. I thought maybe she wanted to take her shoes off, so I told her she could take her shoes off and come inside. She smiled and entered, then closed the door behind her. I poured her some wine and told her it was ready. We conversed for a few minutes before I realized the bread was still in the oven. I took it out and let it cool while I served us the pasta. She sat at the table while I brought over the bread. I playfully wafted the plate of bread by her face, saying, oh, it's nice and warm. She let out a shriek, and her cheek sparked a flame. I dropped the plate on the table, apologizing. Thinking it had touched her cheek and burned her, I got her a cool towel while she covered her cheek with her hand. I kept apologizing, and she told me it was fine, just had a garlic allergy. I felt terrible. My first attempt at making friends, and this happens, I ended up getting her a band-aid and she wore it on her cheek. We conversed while we ate, and she told me how she was born in England and moved to the States when she was very young. We talked for a few hours and laughed a lot. I took her on a tour of my apartment and showed her artwork I had painted. She loved a few of my pieces and even offered to buy one to hang in her place. She was intrigued by a painting I was still working on and offered me money for it. I couldn't charge her for it, but instead I told her I would finish it and bring it over to her place the next day. We parted ways for the night, and as soon as she left, I got to work on the piece. I wanted to make sure the piece was perfect and stayed up all night working on it. I was so excited to bring her the painting. I went out and grabbed breakfast for us 
and went to her place around 9 a.m. I knocked on her door, and it squeaked open, like she forgot to close it all the way. I called out and entered, closing the door behind me. All of her windows were covered by heavy drapes, so I turned a light on. I set my things down on her dining room table and took a look around. Her place was super clean. I called out for her again, but heard nothing. I made my way around the corner to the room and saw a large coffin. I thought that was extremely odd and went to examine it further. I couldn't see much and the light switch wasn't working, so I pushed back the curtains. My curiosity got the best of me and I cracked open the coffin. I pushed it up and saw her laying there. Oh my God, are you okay? I said. She shot up and the light pierced her skin and her arm flamed up. She squealed out and two fangs emerged from her mouth. She rushed over, closing the curtains and glared at me. I don't know what happened or what this girl was. I stood there, shaking, and my eyes fixated on her fangs. She caught my gaze and retracted them back. She calmed herself and told me to follow her into the living room. My feet didn't want to move. I was frozen. She knew I was scared, so she leaned on the coffin. I'm not someone you need to fear. I won't harm you, she said. At this point, I was still in shock and couldn't comprehend what was happening. She sighed and told me I should leave. It's like when my ears heard that, my feet quickly carried me to the door. I went back to my place and sat in silence until the afternoon. I had time to think and had so many questions. I decided to go back and find out more. When I got back to her apartment, the door was wide open and everything was gone. Even the painting I left her. All that remained was a note on her counter with a $100 bill inside that said, I'll keep this for centuries to come.